you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles to God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A switch. There we go. All right. All good. Well, picture this. The year is 1940. A band of, of British soldiers are walking cautiously down a cobblestone streets of a French village, and suddenly gunshots fire. The men, they start to bolt. They're running for their lives. There's no time to retaliate. They've been ambushed. And one by one, they start to fall. 
until all but one remain. This man, he ducks for cover. He frantically tries to, to cog his rifle until a moment of silence fills the air. He jumps up in desperation and then he's, he's confronted by a wall of sandbags and scores of rifles pointing directly at him. Well, he quickly discovers that this, uh, these are the French uh, allied troops and he makes his way over the sandbags uh, to safety. And as he weaves his way through the French defenses, uh, the German forces begin to attack. Well, this scene is the opening of the brilliant masterpiece by Christopher Nolan called Dunkirk. Who's seen this film? Yeah, a few hands. It's a great film. It's based on a true story uh, set in World War II. Uh, after the invasion of France, hundreds of Allied soldiers retreated to Dunkirk and waiting evacuation. And as the story unfolds, the German forces uh, close in and begin to attack their plans to leave Dunkirk seem hopeless. See, the British soldiers are in a hostile environment. They're in a foreign country in the midst of a battlefield, waiting to return to their homeland. And the Apostle Peter, he's writing his letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Asia Minor. In other words, he's writing to Christians who are in a foreign country. In a foreign land, a hostile world, and physically and spiritually, they are in the middle of a battlefield. And so far throughout the letter, we've explored what it looks like to live as Christians, as, as citizens, as slaves and masters, as husbands and wives, amidst persecution and suffering. And as we get to chapter 4, Peter reminds them of their identity, and he further equips them for the fight. You may not be a soldier on the front lines at Dunkirk or even in Ukraine today. You are in a battle, though, where the stakes are even higher than your lives. It's for all eternity. And today we're going to discover what it looks like to live as a Christian in a hostile world. We're going to look at three things together. We're going to look at being prepared for the battle the passions of the flesh, and pursuing God's will. Well, firstly, prepared for battle. So if you open your Bibles to chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. This is what uh, Andrew spoke about last week. That Christ suffered in the flesh once for all sins to bring us to God. So since therefore Christ suffered in the, in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ. The word arm here is a battle term. Uh, the Greek word, eplipso, uh, is frequently used... Uh, to, in context, indicating military preparation. It's a, it's a command to get ready for combat. And Peter says, arm yourselves. But with what? Not with a, a gun, nor a sword, nor any kind of military weapon, but with the same attitude or the same way of thinking as Christ. 
And what is the same attitude as Christ? Well, if you flick back uh, to to chapter 2, Peter tells us in verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him. Who judges justly. Jesus is the ultimate example of suffering to follow. When he suffered, he did not sin. There was no deceit. He did not revile. He did not threaten. You see, Jesus was prepared for battle. He entrusted himself to God. He suffered willingly for, for righteousness' sake. And Peter, he urges us likewise to be prepared for battle, to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Jesus. And he continues in in verse 1, he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You know, the meaning here could, could possibly be physical suffering. You know, contextually, that would make sense, right? Uh, as Christians experienced severe persecution during those times. In fact, not long after Peter wrote this letter, uh, Emperor Nero, he would endorse a mass-wide uh, execution of Christians across the empire. Christians will suffer for their faith. It's evident throughout all church history and even today. And while this is absolutely true, I think Peter here is actually referring not just to physical suffering, but to their identity in Christ. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, those who are united to Christ have also suffered in the flesh. And Peter says they have ceased from sin. They are done with sin. They are dead to sin. As one scholar writes, there is a clear break from sin. You know, your identity is no longer a sinner, but a saint. You're an elect exile chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And Peter says that in verse 2, because of this clear break from sin, he says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, those who have truly suffered in the flesh, who are united to Jesus, will no longer live the rest of their lives indulging in passions of the flesh, but pursuing God's will. Peter wants them to be prepared for battle. He wants you to be prepared for battle. Are you prepared for battle? Do you know your identity in Christ? Because you have suffered with Christ, our defender and our model, then you cannot continue to sin and live in the flesh. 
This leads to the second point, passions of the flesh. Well, I grew up uh, in Sydney, uh, but don't hold that against me. And Lauren and uh, my wife and I, we, we met each other during high school. Uh, we went to church, youth group. We started dating when we were 16. We were, we were high school sc- sweethearts. <laughs> Uh, on weekends, though, we'd, we'd hang out with our friends, and we'd often go to uh, parties. Uh, and some of the parties that we went to, there was loud music, uh, there was cheap alcohol, and lots of laughter. And as a Christian kid, I kind of felt awkward, you know, being the goody two-shoes. Uh, Lauren and I, we didn't drink at these parties. Uh, but to be honest, it was often quite sad, because a bunch of our friends would drink excessive amounts of alcohol, and they would pass out lying in their own vomit. And it wasn't just a one-time occurrence. It would happen again and again and again. And, you know, sure, these kids were just teenagers. Maybe they were experimenting and having a bit of fun. But deep down, deep down, they were escaping the reality of life. They were indulging in sinful uh, passions of the flesh. They were living a non-Christian lifestyle. And should I have been surprised? No, not at all. You see, this is what Peter says in verse 3. This is exactly what the non-Christian lifestyle ought to look like. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. These are all actions of, or sins that pursue self-gratification, of physical pleasures and passions. It's a picture of a life that finds satisfaction not in in, in Jesus, but in one's own desires of the flesh. But remember, remember who Peter is talking to. He is reminding the elect exiles that the church, the lifestyle that they used to live, suffices for the rest of the time that they live in the flesh. In other words, there's no need to continue to sin like this any longer. There's no need to continue to indulge in the passions of the flesh. You've experienced these things in the past, and now you have something so much better, so far greater. Don't be like a dog that returns to its vomit. But what's even sadder is that those who indulge in this lifestyle... Peter says in verse 4, with respect to this, they're surprised. They're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Pagans, Gentiles, not yet Christians, those who don't believe in Jesus are surprised when they don't see us indulging in the same behavior. But most disturbingly, they malign us. You know, in some parts of the world, Christians are receiving physical abuse. But here, Peter is specifically speaking of an abuse that is verbal. And this couldn't be more relevant for Asia Minor first century Asia Minor, as it is for us today in Australia. You know, over the past few years, we've had a number of laws that have been passed 
and have come into effect. And Christians have been called bigots, hypocrites, unloving. And I'm sure that you've witnessed, even online, whether that's on your Facebook feeds or in conversations with your neighbors or your friends, just the onslaught against Christians. Christians are being verbally humiliated, slandered, maligned, and abused. And it saddens, it saddens me reading these comments. Just the hateful and, and revengeful words that people say. But Peter says, we ought to expect this. You know, Asia Minor is hostile to Christianity. Australia is hostile to Christianity. And what's most profound is Peter's words to the church. In verse 5, he says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Peter says, do not judge them. Do not judge them. Why? Remember how Jesus responded when he was maligned? Silence. He did not deceive, there was no revile, he did not threaten, because he knew that the enemy would have to give an account, would have to give an account to the one who judges the living and the dead. If you're uh, not a Christian today, I want to plead with you that Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, bearing all your sin and your guilt on the cross, taking the wrath that you deserve and rising victorious to life. To put an end to all suffering. He did this for you. And if you don't consider these claims, then please be warned that you will be judged. And if you are a Christian, let me plead with you. Do not judge. It's not your responsibility. And even if you die for your faith, it is not God's judgment upon you. As Peter says, The world may see you as dead in the flesh, but Jesus, God, sees you as alive in the Spirit. We can take great comfort in this, that we don't need to fear death. For one day, we will be raised physically and spiritually to be with God for eternity. So we're no longer to live for for passions of the flesh, but to pursue God's will. Brings me to my third point, pursuing God's will. And in the, in the rest of this passage, uh, Peter outlines four practical ways for the church to respond in these final days on the battlefield. He, he challenges us to pursue God's will in the areas of prayer, uh, in the area of love, hospitality, and service. And we're just going to kind of briefly look through these and jump straight to the practicalities. Uh, So firstly, he urges them to pursue a life of prayer. In verse 7, he says, Be self-controlled and sober-minded 
for the sake of your prayers. Well, if you've ever been drunk or like my friends at the parties, you can't think clearly. You might stumble or, or trip or say silly things, and often the more intoxicated you are, the less recollection you would have of the night before. And Peter says, don't be drunk. Christians ought to be self-controlled and sober-minded to dedicate more attention to God. But my guess is for many people here in our context, what might dilute or, or, or intoxicate our minds is not alcohol, but it might be something like busyness. You know, we're working longer hours, we're running around after our kids, we're wasting money on entertainment. You know, busyness is a deep, a spiritual issue for us today because it's intoxicating our minds and distracting us from communion with God. It takes our attention away from a relationship with Him to focus on ourselves. So let me ask you, what's consuming your minds? You might find it hard to pray. So what can you eliminate in your day so that you can spend more time with God? You know, what's distracting you from, from praying? Is it your phone? Is it, is it Netflix? Is it work? You know, what serious measures do you need to take? Maybe it's putting the TV in the cupboard for a few weeks. Well, maybe it's locking your phone in a safe uh, when you get home from work. Or maybe it's saying no to working overtime. Whatever that is in your context, what can you do this week practically to, to devote more time to God? How can you be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers so that you can have a genuine relationship with your Father? Well, secondly, Peter urges them to pursue a life of love. In verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Well, as the end draws near, there is a heightened need to love one another earnestly. To love each other. But what does Peter mean when he says love covers a multitude of sins? Well, sadly, we, we experience sin frequently in the church with each other. Sometimes there's people on the fringes. Other times they're, they're core members and deep friendships that we have. Or leaders in prominent positions in the church. And Peter says here that the loving thing to do is simply to not cover up sin, but to cover over sin. In other words, to forgive. And I know many of us here have been impacted by other sin in the church. I know I have. We are broken people, but the beauty of the gospel is there's grace and there's forgiveness. So let me encourage you not to hold on to your sin, but to give it to Jesus. Let Him be the judge 
And let's seek to, to pursue a life of love. To love each other earnestly. Well, the third thing Peter mentions is pursue a life of hospitality. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, while being hospi- hospitable is a command really for, for all people uh, to be hospitable to people in and out of the church, Peter here is specifically talking to the elect exiles. So this, this command that he has here is for the church to be hospitable within the church. Now, practically, what could this look like? It could be opening up your home and sharing uh, your, your possessions and being generous with other people or caring for people, praying for people, eating a meal with other people. I know over the past few weeks, Lauren and I and, and, and my family, we've been um, benefiting from that as other people have invited us into their homes uh, to share a meal. And it's been a real joy getting to know people. And to be honest, it's a challenge even just for me to think about how can I be more hospitable with people in the church. But it's tempting sometimes, isn't it, to kind of pick and choose who you want to be hospitable with? (laughs) Well, those people over there, I'll get along well with them. Let's invite them around for a meal. (laughs) Or people who you're close to or friends. But the church is made up of diverse people. Could you imagine if the CEO and the addict got together and had a meal in, in their home? What could that look like for you? How could you be more hospitable this week? How can you do that and not be grumbling or doing it grudgingly? It might be a moment for you to, to check your heart <laughs> before God, to ask for a heart of humility, and pray for a spirit of hospitality, to serve other people in the church and care for them in their need. Well, the last thing that Peter mentions is to pursue a life of service. Verse 10 and 11, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, every Christian receives at least one spiritual gift, and we're commanded to use it to serve one another, to edify one another, to build up the body of Christ, to steward and cultivate and excel in our spiritual gifts. And I love Peter's simplicity here. He summarizes the gifts in two categories. He says there's speaking gifts and serving gifts. In other words, there's gifts that use your hands and gifts that use your mouth. And on the one hand, there are many types of speaking gifts. And there's other passages in the Bible that unpacks this, such as gifts of teaching or preaching or evangelism or prophesying or praying. And Peter commands those who have these types of gifts to use them as if saying oracles of God to man. 
But on the other hand, there are other types of gifts, such as serving gifts, gifts of hospitality or administration, uh, or, or gifts of playing an instrument in the band, or, or serving uh, out, uh, with your finances and being generous. And Peter commands those with these types of gifts to use them with God's strength. You know, at, at the moment, we've got lots of needs in our church for people to serve. There's, there's, there's always there's been a pressing need for people to serve in hospitality. Maybe that's you. There's a need for people to serve in our kids. Maybe you can teach our kids about Jesus. Or maybe you can play and help lead us in worship on a Sunday. We want to see you use your gifts this year and to serve the body of Christ, to build up the church here in Geelong. And after the service today, we heard about an opportunity for us to sign up and get involved, right? So let me encourage you to take that opportunity, to talk with the, the different tables and teams that we have out there, uh, to, to see whereabouts you can use your gifts and serve the body of Christ here in Geelong. And if you don't know what your gift is, maybe just ask someone. Or even better, pray. Pray with someone. Ask God to reveal to, to you what your gift might be, or even ask Him for a specific gift. Well, as the band comes up, let me conclude. Well, as the British soldiers, they're waiting on the shores of Dunkirk. They begin to evacuate. They begin, they begin to evacuate on Navy destroyers, these big ships. But the, the ships are easy targets, right? They're, they're too easy for the Germans. And they take them out. And hundreds of men lose their lives. But towards the end of the film, there's this moving and beautiful scene where Commander Bolton... The Royal Navy officer, he peers out into the ocean and he grabs some binoculars and he, he looks through. And as he's looking, the colonel next to him asks him, he says, sir, sir, what do you see? To which he replies, home. Home. You see, on the horizon, he sees 933 little ships. They're ranging from, from marine boats to, to yachts to fishing boats to lifeboats. And as the tears well up in his eyes, the, the, the soldiers around him begin to cheer because they are going home. You know, Peter says in verse 7 that the end of all things is at hand. And Jesus, the reigning, the ruling, and the returning king is coming soon. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. And the church, we now wait in this age for the Savior to take us home. It's as if we are soldiers. We're waiting on the shores at Dunkirk, seeing the ships on the horizon as our Savior comes to rescue us. Jesus will put an end to sin. Jesus will put an end to suffering. Jesus is coming soon. 
These are comforting words for us that, that, that we're not alone in this battle. We have each other as band of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have Jesus, our commander, and he is leading us. You see, the ultimate purpose of, of suffering together, of fighting together and loving one another is for the praise of his glory. And let this motivate you to live for Jesus in this hostile world. To be prepared for battle. To not conform to the passions of the flesh, but rather to pursue Jesus by living for Him and a life of godliness. Because to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these words. We pray that you would just do a work in us today. That you continue to reveal yourself to us. Help us to have the same attitude of Christ. To put to death these passions of the flesh. And to pursue a life after you. Thank you that you're coming soon and that you are coming to rescue us. Help us to, to wait for that moment. And to do that together as the body of Christ. We thank you, Jesus. And pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.